I have a word in my heart today uh, that I want to share with you uh, real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys deal with this here, um, but where I'm from, uh, we, we pastor three campuses in three small communities. And uh, that's kind of the vision that God's put in our heart is to expand into small communities of about 5,000 people or less. And so um, one of the things that uh, we go in as we begin to, to build the foundation of what we believe and we begin to go in and just um, build teams of people and give hope and life. And the familiar story that I get back from a lot of people when we go into places not just people that are lost, but a lot of people that have been in church for years, um, is that we get a familiar response of a, a refreshing relief, um, just almost like um, the weights are coming off of people's lives because even though they've been born again, they've been living in such staunch religion that it's been very difficult for them to find anything life-giving in the church or life-giving in the things of God. And, and I just want you to know that that's not God's way. I really want you to know that, that this isn't hard. It's, it's not meant to be difficult. And, and it's our nature as people to make it difficult. It's been the way of God's people ever since, you know, uh, uh, ever since people have existed and sin had entered the world it's, it's been in our nature to try to work from a place of seeking God's love instead of realizing we're already loved. And it was through the work of Jesus Christ that we're celebrating. We gather and honor him today and worship him. It's through his work and finished work that we're actually able to, to have freedom to live from a place of love, not feel like I've got to do something, I've got to be something different, I've got to be better, I've got to, you know, clean things up, I've got to figure out a way to get to God. You know, the gospel is not a, 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 a message of man's attempt to get to God. It is a message of God's attempt to get to man. And when you understand that, it begins to unlock something powerful in our lives that sets us free, and what you feel like is unchangeable begins to change. And it's not because of your own actions, and it's not because of your own effort. And I'm not saying that we're lazy and we're casual in our faith. Please don't go to that other ditch, and I'm not a hyper-grace type person, but I want you to know that there is this balance in this middle of the road that we need to learn to live in, where even though I want... I'm not lazy because I'm, I am forgiven. I'm, I'm passionate not because I'm trying to get God's approval, but because I've already been approved. I, I'm generous not because I'm trying to move God's hand to bless me, because he's already blessed me. See, there's this, there's this different place that God wants us to live from scripturally, but I find in small towns especially Maybe it's like that in bigger cities. I don't know if it's like that here, but there's such religion and such a, a heaviness in the church. Man, we've lost our thanksgiving. We've lost our praise. Listen, and all the craziness that's going around the world today, we're, we, we've, there's not been praise on the lips of the saints. We've lost our joy. We've lost our shout. And I'm telling you, that's what sets us apart. How can you have joy in the middle of this craziness? And it's because of him. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of the supply of the Holy Spirit. It's because of what has already happened. If he never did another thing for me or for you, he is worthy of my praise. 
But see, sometimes we set our praise up on the shelf because we're waiting on the breakthrough. I'm waiting to get free from addiction. I'm waiting to get free from lust. I'm waiting for him to restore my marriage. I'm waiting for something else to happen. But I found out that if I'll just praise him because of what he's already done and I'll get close to him, even though even though it feels like I don't belong there, I just realize by faith this is where I belong, then things begin to work, things begin to move, things begin to change, things begin to be restored. Lord. Amen. I probably should look at notes right about now, but I'm just, I'm excited. And, uh, and, and I, I don't know how far I'll get even past the first couple of scriptures, if that's all right. So I, I want to I read a couple of passages to you and kind of set up some thoughts. We, we're doing a series of messages uh, at our church called Closer, and we took the month of August and it was really all about just getting closer to him, that he is the prize. He is the reward that we're, we've fasted and we've prayed and we've been doing devotionals together. But I really wanted our people. And so I began to think about even in my own mind, what are some things that keep me from getting closer? You know, I don't, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is this dynamic in your relationship with the Lord. You can either be close or you can be distant. You can either be drawing in or you can be pushing away. James chapter 4, we'll read here in a minute, it says, draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. And then there's this other thing that he says. He says, then your hands will be cleansed and your heart will be purified. See, we, we want to do it the other way. We want to get our hands clean and our hearts purified before we feel like we can go close to the Lord, but that's not the Scripture. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe they have this passage for you. I want to read to you in Hebrews chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that, bring, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience." How much guilt keeps us from getting closer? How much regret keeps us from moving closer? And he said, I, I know you're going to feel guilty, but the blood of Jesus can, can, can wash away the guilty conscience. How many of us come to church with conscience? And we feel like, you know what, I see Pastor Brett and them, and they're all light and joyful, and I see so-and-so, and they look all put together. Well, yeah, that, God's definitely going to move in their life, but I just don't belong there. I don't really belong in this moment. I'm just going to kind of step back. I know they love to get up and talk to the Lord, but whenever I do, I just feel like my past screams and echoes, and I'm filled with such regret today. There's people here today that you, you war with the echoes of regret, and I'm just telling you that you belong in his presence, that it's by the work of Jesus. There's nothing that you'll ever do or perform or hoop you'll jump through. There's not enough church attendance. There's not enough hours of prayer. There's not enough scriptures in the Bible that you can read that makes you more worthy of being in the presence of God. He said, listen, you deserve to be here because of the blood of Jesus. You deserve to be here. Listen, Jesus didn't come just so that we could sit back and just, you know, try to keep fighting our way to him. I love that when Jesus was crucified and he said, it is finished. You know the story if you came up 
and were brought up in church. If you didn't, I want you to go back and read the Gospels of just the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what happened immediately whenever the, the payment was made and whenever he breathed his last breath and he said, it is finished. It says the earth shook. There was an earthquake and clouds rolled in. There was thundering. But one of the most significant things that happened is that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. There's a reason why it was torn from top to bottom and not bottom to top. It was to signify that man didn't make his way into God's presence. God made his way into people's presence. For thousands of years, God's been at bay of being able to really be in his, his, be with people. I mean, the only people he could meet with were the high priest or a prophet. And there's thousands, millions of people that God longed to be it. Ever since the beginning, the very creation of Adam and Eve was God's longing to have a family to commune with. And you go back and read even in the early passages in the very beginning, he walked in the cool of the garden with Adam and he had conversations. And you read about his relationship with Abraham and he was talk to him face to face like a friend and Moses face to face like a friend that God has always longed to be face to face and be in our lives and to be around. And then sin is this really uh, awful thing that came in and, 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 and broke that fellowship. For thousands of years, bloods of an, the blood of animals had to be spilled out to try to atone for the sin, to cover it up. Year after year, the day of atonement, the high priest would go in fear and trembling into the presence of God behind the veil to, to put the blood of the animals on the mercy seat to atone for the sin of the people. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice that made his, his sacrifice once and for all. And when his blood was spilled and his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven, the veil was ripped, and God said, I'm ready to visit with my people. I'm ready to commune. See, we feel like it's necessary to try to beat each other up in how we're supposed to come to God. And I, again, I'm not casual on that. Such reverence. There ought to be sorrow for sin. There ought to be there ought to be a recognition of when I've messed up or when there's transgression. See, Jesus didn't come to make sin right. He came to make you right. Sin is still wrong. Transgression is still wrong. But Jesus said, listen, it's impossible for you to break the power of that in your life. And you can't pay the penalty of that. Only one could, and that's me through Jesus Christ. So I've paid the penalty of your sin, but I also want to begin to work in you to deliver you from the power of sin. You know, one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. But right now he's working in us to continue to deliver us and break us free from the power of sin. And that's his grace that continues to work in us. You know, that, that word grace, graceful, I imagine in my own thinking of what it looks like when, when your life is full of grace. And the way that I illustrate it is, is that um, it's like two people dancing and one that can and one that can't. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. I'm not going to ask you to tell you, uh, pick out which one you are, but there are people that can 
and there are people that can't. There are people that can clap on beat and people that can't, you know. My, my precious wife, I love her. She is beautiful. She's a little rhythm challenged. And I'm not saying that I have a whole lot of it, but I feel like I can kind of keep the beat during praise. And so sometimes when she comes and she gets beside me and she starts to clap in the middle of praise, I know we make a joyful noise unto the Lord and we shouldn't judge people's praise, but sometimes I got to just move over a little bit because she gets me off rhythm. Wait a second. You know, and I've watched people, I, I, I do a lot of weddings and um, I, and, and so, you know, as a pastor, I love doing weddings in the reception after, and uh, that's when the party begins, you know, and, and I've sat and watched people dance on the dance floor, and I've seen people in my own church, ushers and like security team members, get out. I didn't even know they had moves like that. I was like, where, where did that come from? You know what I mean? And, and then I've seen some people, I'm like, no, stop. Just get off the dance floor. It's not, it's not where you belong. What, you know why? Because there's a gracefulness to the rhythm and to, to that person. Who, when, it, when someone does it effortlessly, is that a word? They do it without effort. There's just a gracefulness to the rhythm. Same song playing, but you see someone do it and it seems like there's no effort. And then the other person, it looks like they are trying so hard and it just, it ain't working. That's like our walk with grace with the Lord. That when we do it on our own strength, it looks like you are trying way too hard. It's the same life we're all living. It's the same suffering. It's the same pain. It's the same trials. It's, it's the same life we're all in, the same rhythm of life. But some just seem to carry a grace, and it's because they're walking with him, and they're close they come before the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. And there's this idea that they begin to grab a hold of by faith. It's confidence. It's full assurance. And there's a gracefulness. And then there's some of us that we seem to struggle even through the same things more and more. But it's not just because the, the situation is harder. I'm telling you, it, it, I got to get back in faith in what Jesus has done. And whenever I do, there's a gracefulness that comes on my life, and it's not because of my own efforts. It's because of his. Amen? I did not give them this scripture, and it just kind of was rolling around in me this morning in prayer, and it's in Zechariah chapter 4, and I want to go there for just a second. And they can, they can pull it up. It's Zechariah chapter 4, and it's in verse 6 popular passage of Scripture for some. This is coming out way different than I had intended it to, so we may wrap it up here in a minute and pray and go home. I I don't know, but I want to give you a couple of thoughts, but I want to just continue to talk about this. I love this. So Zechariah chapter 4, so in context... Stop there for just a second. Bookmark that. I want to tell you something else real quick about Hebrews. So the author of Hebrews wrote Hebrews because he was trying to convince Jewish believers to quit going back to dead works. So when you read Hebrews 10 and you hear him passionately saying, come before the throne of grace with confidence, 
He's, he's beckoning Jewish believers who have now converted to Christianity through the work of Christ, who keep trying to go back to their own works. They keep trying to go back. There's this tendency. There's, so whether you're a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer like us, there is still a tendency for us to want to go back to something practical and intellectual in our religion that makes me feel better about who I am instead of putting faith on Jesus Christ. And so it still speaks to us today that no matter how spiritual you get, no matter how much you've been in church, no matter how much you've, you, you know, you've been born again, you've been water baptized, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, there is still something in our nature that wants us to go back to feeling better about myself. And it only comes through faith and assurance of the blood of Jesus. Listen to this little story in Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet who is living in the time whenever they are, uh, uh, have been released from captivity and they're trying to rebuild the city. They're trying to rebuild the temple. And, and Zechariah is, is, is getting a word from the Lord for a man named Zerubbabel who is the civil authority in, uh, of the Jews, and he is actually the one leading the charge of rebuilding the temple in this, in this time. Have you ever started something and then fallen short? Have you ever felt like something's begun, but I'm having a really difficult time to get it finished? I would think it's kind of parallel to our spiritual life. You know, in Philippians, Paul says that God's faithful to complete what he's finished. How many of you know that our walk with him begins whenever we say yes, but he's not done? So sometimes we, we, we feel like we're not qualified because we feel like that, that because the building has paused or because I feel like I've hit a brick wall, I can't seem to break this, I can't seem to get past this anger, I can't seem to get past this offense. This unforgiveness has got a hold of my heart. Bitterness is there, or I can't break this addiction. I can't get past these, this, this iniquity that's in my life. It can get frustrating, and it can cause me to really try to accomplish it myself. I've met with people just here recently who are addicted to drugs, got a family, Beautiful family, wife and daughter, and whole life in front of him, and and trying to 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 get him to just submit, just to even recognize, man, there's an issue here, there's a problem here, and you can't get, you can't, you do not have the power to defeat this on your own. But no matter how much you preach, and no matter how much you come and really try to beg them, there's a something in us sometimes that says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this battle. And I'm just telling you that there are some things in your life that you'll never win on your own. A lot of things. And it only comes from the power and the presence of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 4 and in verse 6, says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Grace. Everybody say grace. 
You know, there was a, a pause in the building of the temple for lack of resources, lack of energy, lack of people, whatever it was. There was a pause in the completion of God's plan of the temple. And the word of the Lord came to uh, Zerubbabel and he said, listen, the reason that it's paused is because you're trying to do it in your own power and you're trying to do it in your own strength. But I'm telling you that the only way that this is going to happen is by my power and by my spirit. If you read that chapter, there's actually a vision that God shows Zechariah and he shows him visions of the golden lampstand, which is symbolic of the temple. And I don't know if you know what that was um, uh, like in the temple of God, but the golden lampstand had to be tended to all the time. It was, a, it was a lot of effort to keep the flame burning. It's a lot of effort to keep the, the fire burning on the golden lampstand. And, and so, you know, the, the, the priest would have to go in and trim the wick and always filling it up with oil. You could not let the oil go out. So the priest was always going in, and his duty was always to keep the oil in the lamp, to keep it burning, to keep the wick tended to, to blow the soot out, to always keep it going. And in this vision, God shows Zechariah that there's something different about this lampstand that I want you to see, that there's going to be two olive trees that are going to stand right next to the, to the lampstand, and there's going to be a pipe that runs out of these trees into the lampstand, and there's going to be a continuous supply of the oil that keeps that fire going. So what he was showing Zechariah is, is that the old pattern, which is only a pattern, matter of fact, Hebrews 10.1 says that the pattern of the temple and the pattern of the old, it was just a shadow of things to come. It wasn't the real thing. And what he was saying is, is that in the old pattern, the priest was going to have to do a lot of work to keep the fire going and to keep the flame burning and to keep the incense going. But in the new pattern, there's going to be a day that when grace comes, that the mountain of effort and the mountain of duty and the mountain of works and the mountain that is keeping you from getting to where God wants you to be, that's keeping you from finding freedom in your walk with Christ, that's keeping you from finding forgiveness, that's keeping you from restoring relationships, that mountain that's standing in front of you today, that even Jesus himself is shouting grace to that mountain, and it'll become like a plane. Amen? That there is a supply of the Holy Spirit. There is a supply from heaven that has been sent to you to keep the fire burning, to keep the passion going, to, to, to keep you moving forward in whatever it is that you're dealing with in life. And one of the things that, that I, I know that you're dealing with, because I deal with it and all of us do, is you're dealing with the regret of transgressions, but you're also dealing with the desire to sin. See, there's two different words for sin in, in the Bible. One is transgression and one is iniquity. So transgression is the act of sin, and iniquity is the desire. So transgression is when I actually mess up and I cross the line and I know, man, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have texted that. Shouldn't have called them that. Shouldn't have cut them, you know, whatever it is. I shouldn't have been a part of this. I should, whatever that is that I know or I should have and I didn't. Should have spoken up, but I didn't. I should have 
done this, but I didn't. I should. Whatever it is, we're full of those things in our lives that we don't want to do, but sometimes we do it. So it's a transgression, and that grace comes in and, and, and is there to remove the guilt of that regret from my life. But grace is not just a saving grace of forgiveness, but grace is an ability to come in and give you the ability to defeat the desire as well. But the, the enemy comes in and lies to you and me and tells you that I'm not worthy enough to be close to him. And he lies to me and tells me, you got to fix it. And until you fix it, you're not going to find freedom. When Jesus is saying, no, I need you to come. I need you to draw near to me. I need you to come before the throne of grace. And I need you to come with humility. I need you to come with confidence. And when you do, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in union with you, and there is gonna be a grace that comes in and helps set you free in areas where you're working so hard to do it yourself. Some of us are working so hard to fix our marriage. We're working so hard to repair the relationship with our kids. And it's understandable, isn't it? Because wherever there's pain, we flock to it and we want to fix it. God gives us wisdom and there's practical things that we do, but I'm telling you, we will, if, if we remove him from the equation, we'll get frustrated and we'll quit. It'll be like, it'll be like Zerubbabel building the temple. There'll be a pause and a mountain in front of us and we will stare at that mountain all day. Even though I'm born again and I'm believed, it's like I won't ever move forward in what God has for me. Listen, there's, there's those of us that are here today that there's so many more things that God wants to do in our lives, and it's not going to happen because we work it out and because we, we fix it. Amen? So God wants to give us grace, but he doesn't want to just give you grace to come into the kingdom of heaven. He wants to give you grace to overcome everything that you need to overcome in your life. There's an ability that comes with grace to have victory in every area of our life. Amen? And that comes from being close to him. You know, I was gonna read through some of the book of James chapter four today, and, and one of the things I wanted to point out was that you know, James, the book of James, it, it kind of kicks your tail. Really, if you've never read it, it really, he really comes pretty hard at you. And, uh, and, and one of the things that James talks about, though, is he talks about our duty, talks about our duty to serve God, to our duty as Christians. But one of the things that James says in James chapter 4 is he talks about you know, our quarreling with each other. He talks about our, our, our inability to pray right prayers because our motives are wrong. And he talks about all this stuff. But then in verse 6, he says, but God gives more grace. So that even though you have all this duty and all these things that we're trying to accomplish, James was really quick to point out, here's the deal. I know you have all these issues and these problems, but I want you to know that God gives more grace. And there is grace for people. There is grace to overcome guilt of sin. There is grace to overcome the desire of sin. You know, Isaiah 53, where it says that he was wounded for my transgressions and he was bruised for my iniquity. I don't know if you've ever gone back and looked at that and realized that those are two different categories of punishment. One is an outward wound and one is an inward wound. 
And when it says that he was wounded for my transgression, what he was saying is, is that he took an outward wound for your outward action. But he was also bruised for your iniquity, which means he took an inward wound for your inward desire to sin. Iniquity is the desire. So he said, I've come to pay the price to forgive you of everything that you have done, will do, uh, are doing. There is forgiveness through the grace of God. Amen. But, I, but greater than that is I've come to change the desire. I've come to actually work in, our life, in your life and in my life because I want to break the power of that iniquity that is driving you to even want to. I remember whenever I first started getting my life right, I was 18 years old and uh, had gone to a, a youth camp in Oklahoma City um, to intern. And so, uh, the, my, you know, long story short, I really rough life in high school, grew up in a great home, grew up with godly parents, but just ran, really, really lived a life of a lot of regret. And I smoked about three packs of cigarettes on the way to this internship because I knew I couldn't smoke anymore. So I was like, I'm going to get them all in on the way there. And, um, I remember getting there, and you know, the intern director met me. I opened up the door, and smoke just comes billowing out of my, 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 my little Toyota Tercel. And very gracious guy, you know, just didn't say anything about it, welcomed me, you know, and took me under his wing. It was amazing. But I remember really trying to break that desire even just to smoke and how, you know, I, I would throw a pack of cigarettes out the window, you know, after I smoked one and felt really bad. I would throw it out the window and say, I'm done done with this, only to circle the block and go find that pack of cigarettes again, you know, maybe that evening. Is it still there? I hope no one got it and grab it again. Well, what is that? It's that iniquity, right? For that, it's there's something working in me that is driving me to that, or if it's, you know, the way that you look at the opposite sex, dealing with pornography or dealing with lust, dealing with things in your life that you keep saying, okay, I'm done with that. It's broken. But a lot of times we try to defeat it in our own effort. Here's the thing. You can bend your behavior for a period of time, but sooner or later your heart will catch up. And until you give him your heart and not just your behavior, then you'll never be free. Religion wants to change your behavior. God wants to change your heart. Amen? Amen? And it's the only thing that he can do. Like there are just some things that only God can do. So religion was never meant to be a, 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 a thing that we do that just makes us all look good. Don't you think the world is tired of church people that look good but don't, don't actually have purity in the heart? Don't you get tired of it? I mean, if you were to be really honest, aren't you exhausted from trying to fix everything yourself? Aren't you tired of trying to put on a show and feel like everything's good only to fix our behavior for a period of time and find that the desire is still there? James says the only way that that really breaks is that you've got to break your friendship with the world and you've got to become friends with him. If your hands or clean, and your hearts are purified, the only way that comes is from drawing near to him. You can't be friends with the world and expect for that to change. Now, you can be a believer, and you can be forgiven, 
but you'll live exhausted. And you'll live frustrated and think, well, God's not real. Then the enemy comes in and begins to deceive you into thinking that somehow this is broken because I'm not changed. And I'm just telling you, number one, it's not overnight. I mean, it can be. There are exceptions to the rule. I've seen people walk away from years of meth addiction and just walk completely away. And that is a supernatural thing that God can do even today. But I know this, there's a lot of people who our story would be different and say it's a process that God has brought me through. But what I can't do is abandon my friendship with him because of my own mistake. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to grow distant with him because of your own inability. And that's what I led with today is, is that it's not you that deserves the audience of God anyway. It's Jesus. And God wants to refresh you. He wants to, he wants to pour some oil on the wounds of your heart and your life. And man, he loves you. He is for you. He's not against you. That flat tire you had last week is not because you didn't pray enough. That, that bump in the road that we sometimes, we always think, well, God's mad. He's punishing me until I get this right. I, I plead with people at the church. I plead with them. Many times, whenever they come up to me with this crazy theology of all the wrong that's going on, I know if I would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. And you know what? I know there's consequences to our sin. We reap what we sow. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. I get it. There is. But man, how quick are we to think that I've got to claw my way back somehow to God's good grace? And I'm telling you, there is a Savior who has paid the price. And he's not going to hang on the cross again. It's been done. It's finished. And you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And he wants to set you free from the power of sin. And it's the same grace that does both. But you got to come close. When we're running and we're hiding, you got to get close. And he's inviting you. Whether you've been in church 20 years, 50 years, six months, he's inviting you to come close today. And he's saying, hey, bring that to me. God says, I oppose the proud but I give grace to the humble. The proud would say, I'm okay. I've got all this. I've got it worked out. The proud would say, I've been in church too long to admit that there's still something I'm dealing with. The, the proud would say that I don't want anybody else to know my business. The humble would say, I'm done I'm trying to do this all on my own. And I'm coming to him because he gives me grace. He gives me grace. I want to invite you today to respond. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. God could do something really powerful today. He could do something really amazing today. If we'll just let him. Spirit, sir, we just welcome you. Lord, I, I don't know if 
I said it all right. Lord, I know your heart today is to touch the lives of those that are tired and weary, that are in bondage to religion. Father, I thank you for freedom today. Thank you for freedom that comes with the grace. Come on, let's just lean in. Let's Let's lean in with faith today, Hebrews 10. Let's come boldly to him today. Are you here today and you say, I don't even really know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't, I wouldn't confidently say that he's my Lord or my Savior. Don't know that I really even prayed a prayer. Maybe you did and it just really, you felt like, man, it just didn't stick. I need a fresh start today. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready for a fresh start in my life today. I'm ready to make Jesus Lord and to just come to him today. If that's you, will you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I need a fresh start today. I need Jesus. Next thing I want to ask you, and then I, I'm going to pray over you, is this. Is there anybody tired? Is there anybody tired of fighting? Come on, slip your hands up. Say, that's me. I'm tired. I'm trying to fix it. I'm just tired. And I need some grace today. Thank you. So what I to do is just encourage you right there in your seat there's an altar and it's in your heart this is an altar up here but there's also right there a sacred altar in your heart you are a living sacrifice right there if you are confused and you don't know if you're born again or saved you can just simply say Lord forgive me Jesus I need you Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Set me free. Heal me. Come on, if you're tired today and you've been doing it all on your own, we can repent and just say, Lord, forgive me for trying to fix all of this. Lord, I today am committing to give this to you. My one thing, my one focus is going to be that I'm going to draw closer. I commit to draw close to you. I commit to come to you, to be close to you. And Lord, I'm asking you to have your way in my life. Change my desires. Change my want to. Heal me. Wounds. Deliver me from addiction. Deliver me from the power of of iniquity or sin in my life and set me free today. Father, I pray right now over every person in this place. And I just thank you for the life-giving word. I thank you, Lord, right now that this word brings life. It lightens our soul. I thank you for freedom today in the hearts of, of, our, of our families. Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that for those things that we're believing for, those relationships. Lord, I thank you for those things in our life, God, that 
have seemed to be like a mountain today, we shout grace. We align our words with the word of Christ and we shout grace to the mountain. Come on, grace. We shout grace to the mountain. And Lord, we declare that that mountain will become like a plain. And the things that we've given so much effort to that when we relax and back up and we just begin to walk in faith, we believe that things will begin to be restored Things will begin to be healed. I thank you for grace in the middle of the suffering, but Lord, I thank you for grace that makes us strong, that establishes us, that heals every broken part in our body today. I thank you for the grace that comes, Lord, that sets us free in our soul. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus, we love you. You're amazing. You're amazing. Jesus' name. Amen.